just because there are so many strong emotional, positive emotional ties to sport. Um, we're just so much more vulnerable in that, in that set of circumstances. So I just like to remind myself, like sit down with myself and remember and like repeat this in my head and write it down. Um, that when I'm injured, what is the best environment for healing? That was Abby Cooper, and this is the Running on Own podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at X Endurance. One of my favorite products that X Endurance makes is called Extreme Endurance. I take three tablets with breakfast and three with dinner. Extreme Endurance is a supplement made for athletes and active individuals who want to reduce muscle soreness, improve stamina, and accelerate recovery. What's amazing to me is that Extreme Endurance is actually clinically proven through open-label and third-party double-blind placebo-controlled studies. In just 72 hours of starting to take Extreme Endurance, it's been clinically proven to reduce lactic acid by 26% reduce oxidative stress by 36%, and have a six times reduction rate of creatine kinase. In this episode's show notes, I'll actually link to these studies if you want to geek out like me about exercise science. As a professional runner, I have to be mindful that every supplement I take is clean, and X-Endurance is certified by Informed Choice and Informed Sport. With Extreme Endurance, I'm confident that my body is getting a pure product that allows me to maximize the benefits of my training. After starting to take extreme endurance for three days, I actually experienced one of the best runs of my life. It was one of those runs where you just feel like you can keep on going. And if you too wanna experience the clinically proven benefits of extreme endurance, you can receive 10% off all X endurance products at shop.teamxnd.com slash running on ohm, which is also linked to in this episode show notes. Now let's get on to our show. Hey everyone, welcome back or welcome to the Running on Ohm podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and here at Running on Ohm, we feature long form style conversations with women in endurance sports and in the outdoors. Although these conversations focus on women's stories in particular, this podcast is for everyone, for everyone to hopefully be inspired and empowered by. This Soul Sister Session series with Abby Cooper is part of a monthly conversation where we come together to explore the deep parts of life, of sport, and relationships through listener questions and our lived experiences. I feel deeply grateful to call Abby one of my best friends, and she is an incredible human and a very accomplished runner. Abby runs professionally for New Balance, specializing in the 5,000 meters, She represented the U.S. in the 2016 Olympics and is currently training to represent the U.S. again at the 2020 Olympics. In this month's episode, we focus our conversation on navigating eating disorder recovery through injury and also through times of competition. In December 2019 Soul Sister Sessions, that was Rue episode 223, we first shared about our journey with navigating our own eating disorders and got some really encouraging feedback and follow-up questions from that, so we decided to keep the conversation going in this episode. Here, in this episode, we answer listener questions on how to support a loved one who's struggling with a disordered eating or eating disorder, navigating one's relationship with food during times of injury, 
comparing body types and how to cultivate self-confidence in one's own body and one's own abilities. What being in recovery or full recovery from an eating disorder actually means to us and lots more. Before we get into today's episode, I also think it's important to highlight that eating disorders and disordered eating affect both men and women of all ages, sizes, backgrounds, athletes, and non-athletes, and this conversation is open and inclusive to everyone. Abby and I aren't doctors or medical professionals, and if you're concerned about yourself or someone you know, we encourage you to take eating disorders very seriously and seek professional help. Thank you to all those who asked such thoughtful and courageous questions. We're so grateful for all of you. If you have any follow-up questions or question on something entirely different from us, please submit them at runninganome.com slash soulsistersessions. And also don't hesitate to reach out on Instagram and let us know what resonated from today's conversation. I also always love to know where people listen to the podcast, on the run, in the car, doing laundry, take a picture and share it with us. Okay, friends, you ready? Let's dive deep with my soul sister, Abby Cooper. March. Craziness, right? This happens every year. We're like, I feel like January drags for forever and then the spring just flies. Yeah, it definitely feels like spring in Boston. Oh my gosh, I know. 70 degrees or something there, right? Yeah, it was wild. Like, I went on a bike ride today with Bodhi, mountain biking, and we were both just so happy in the sun. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. I just find myself like, I, I just, I just went on a late run and, um, I like couldn't help but smile to like passersby. I mean, I usually try to do that anyway, but it's just unbelievable. I think I try to deny sometimes that my mood is so affected by the weather, but it's just, it's absolutely undeniable. Um, yeah, it's a good reminder to, to, like be more intentional about how to keep your spirits up in the winter. I'm so with you this month. We are going to be returning to eating disorders. Um, it was actually national eating disorder awareness week, the last week of February into March. And we thought we'd return to the topic because we got a lot of really thoughtful responses to our past episode on it. And have now got just so many thoughtful, really holistic questions. But before we dig into the questions, let's check in. What is present with you, Abby, today? What kind of run did you do? So uh, I just had a short run today, which was lovely. Um, As I believe I've mentioned before, every four weeks we have a recovery week. So lower volume we do keep the intensity up, but, um, yeah, the focus is just to let the, all the miles we've done most of the month absorb. And, um, yeah, so I just had a short run today. We had a workout that beat me up a bit yesterday. So I was, I was pleased about that. And yeah, like I said, just enjoying the sunshine and getting ready for, um, my in-laws are headed our way tomorrow. 
So I have a lot of cleaning on tap for today. Why is it always that like this happens to me too, but when people come to our house, we like have to clean. What is that about us? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think both of us have that um, natural um, hospitality, you know, nature. We, we love being hospitable and warm and um, yeah, I think that that's, clearly important to both of us but it's also just like there's nothing like the the motivation of having someone even family coming to your home to just get you know light a fire under your butt to do a deep cleaning of the whole house so um thankfully we had company over just a couple weeks ago so it's not as in need as it has been before but yeah yeah i got a got a, a big list of of cleaning tasks ahead for later And when you say you did a workout yesterday that kicked your butt or beat you up, what was the workout? So we do this often during recovery weeks. Um, It is a like rhythmic 300 meter workout, which is typically very short for me. And it's actually pretty deceiving on paper. It doesn't look hard. And every single time um, Hannah and I are humbled by it. So um it's sets of 300s with 100 meter jog rest so it ends up being just about 30 seconds rest um so we will usually do sets of three of them um yeah so it's basically just like a broken 900 meter um and yeah but they're they're usually done at 3k rhythm pace or faster we usually end up doing them a couple of, of seconds faster so i think we were doing them at about uh 68 69 pace 400 meter pace yesterday um and i just haven't done a lot of speed work as you know um in in a few months so now's the time as we're getting ready for outdoor and um it's, it's that you know hurts so good feeling absolutely um i didn't i didn't anticipate it would i'd feel so heavy legged today but um yeah it's a sign that uh it's outdoor track season just does that <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad to be getting back into that feeling. How do you mentally, when you're in a workout like that, when there is such short rest, like psych yourself up to again, go for the next like repeat? That's a great question. I think my instinct is to try to encourage the person next to me. Typically Hannah and I do this workout together. Um, but I actually try to stay more intentional about just, just breathing during those, I mean, 30 seconds goes by so quickly. So despite it being a little, a bit, um, against my nature to just be silent during that 100 meter jog, I actually try to discipline myself to do so, so that I can maximize the amount of rest and be ready and sharp for the next one. That's, that's what I was thinking about yesterday, at least. Yeah, that's really, that's cool. Um, and Jules, I want to hear all about how your weekend went at the film festival. Oh, thanks friend. Yeah. So last weekend I was at a film festival in Denver called No Man's Land Film Festival that features women in adventure sports and lots of short documentaries. And we were invited, um, the film I've been working on for the past couple years called Bakoji 100 was invited there. And it was just such a rad experience. There was 63 films screened over the course of four days. And 
I saw the majority of them and it was just representing women from all different disciplines like free skiing and climbing and hiking and running and swimming, long distance swimming, like that's a whole thing. <laughs> there was oh just so many amazing women of so many different ages and backgrounds and it was so special. And then they had a couple different panel discussions, which we were invited to speak on one. Um, Kayla Nolan, the executive director of Girls Gotta Run Foundation and I. And so it was just like so uplifting, the whole thing. And then on Saturday night, it was during intermission between the two film sets. And they were up on the stage, the directors of the festival. And they're like, and we want to acknowledge a film that we, you know, that is the most inspiring film of this festival and we believe is going to have the biggest impact. And they said the name of our film and I literally just like was in shock. <laughs> oh my yeah, goodness. Cause I've, I mean, we had no expectation. One, we didn't even know the film festival had awards. I was just going to ask. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And it's, it was a pretty small film festival. Um, Small meaning like small smaller venues smaller whatever in scope um but they had three awards in their film festival and we won most inspiring and that was so cool and special and I've Aww. never I've never won an award in my life I've never crossed a finish line first like I've never actually had an experience like that where you know someone actually gives you like a thing and is like you won <laughs> Wow. Oh my gosh. How touching. And just the fact, I mean, it sounds like you were caught off guard in a good way, but how sweet that you're able to experience such raw emotion, you know, almost a blessing that you couldn't yeah, I psychologically started crying. prepare for that. I literally started oh. crying because it was oh. just like a moment where Kayla and then Alistair, my co-director and I, we all just looked at each other and We've been doing this project since 2017 and it's taken so many iterations and there's been, Kayla and I actually admitted to each other this weekend that um, summer 2018, we both had an experience of wanting to quit on the project and just like, I tried to send her an email getting out of the film project. She also wanted to let it go. And so there was so many times on this process that we were like, Maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we shouldn't organize the relay. And it's kind of just when you want to give up is when it, things actually get really good. 100%. I wish I could capture that soundbite and replay it in my head all the time. It's so true, no matter the discipline. Yes, no matter the discipline. And I mean, even I'm trying to remember that like in my own journey right now, I've had this foot injury now for way too long. I even feel like embarrassed still talking about it with friends and family. But it's like I have to remember just like again in the darkness, in the challenge with my foot, like it may actually be an opportunity for a breakthrough into health or into more knowledge. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and and it doesn't necessarily happen just by virtue of time spent in the trial. You know, I have to lean into it. It's what you do with that time and you are the mother of leaning in, you know, so um, I'm, I'm here on the sidelines eagerly awaiting to see how that breakthrough does unfold. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So it's been a cool, it's been a really special couple of weeks and we even got to see each other in the flesh at the Olympic trials marathon and got to stay together there. What was, what was that experience like for you? What were perhaps you most surprised by? Cause that's your first Olympic trials where you've never actually been participating. 
That is true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so thankful that I ended up making the last minute decision to go. I, I feel like I'm almost still processing it. It was such a bittersweet feeling at the end. I mean, you and I were together. It was like, there is for everyone. Of course, we're not even participants. There's so much joy and sadness, more sadness than joy, really all at once. And, um, yeah, so I've just still been holding intention, those two things. I mean, I, I, I was able to interact with many women who didn't qualify um, in Flagstaff or in the months leading up. And so I was really, really sad for them and just kind of interacting with them um, afterwards, even just, um, yeah, I mean, you just, we're, we're such a strong community. That's what the running community is known for. And so we just, feel deeply, you know, when, even when we're not in the experience ourselves. Um, so, but, you know, I was actually really encouraged, um, listening to, uh, Ryan Hall again, his podcast, uh, just did just the other day. And, and he was sharing that, you know, despite the, the heartbreak of pouring into this experience and Sarah not qualifying, it has, it has brought this unforeseen, um, love, like the, the depth of love that they've felt from those reaching out, whether it be on Instagram or through text has just been in his words, like the experience of God through other people. And that was obviously something they didn't anticipate. And it really just, um, moved me to think about it that way. And, um, to hear him so genuinely speak positively about the experience. Um, yeah, just, just help me like, reframe my the way that I thought about it for those people wow. and I don't know if you feel similarly to with that bittersweet kind of feeling oh definitely definitely I mean I think there an experience like that there's the highest of highs and lowest of lows and I think that's really beautiful to hear Ryan say that I can't wait to listen to that podcast where he reflects on that but sometimes in those moments of like real hardship or defeat, it's actually an opportunity for you to really feel and receive the love of those around you. And yes. I feel like I see that oftentimes on Instagram, unfortunately, when people pass away in the rock climbing community, there's been like over the past couple of years, there's been a lot of deaths of um, prominent climbers. And just to watch how people celebrate those people's lives and also how people support and uplift the partners or wives or husbands of the climbers is fairly like just it's so remarkable I mean it will bring me to tears sometimes reading it I have to be like careful not to read it if I'm in a into I don't know if I'm about to go teach a yoga class or something because I get in like a real headspace um but it's like yeah I think experiences like that just give you this full spectrum human experience where you're feeling all the feels and to get to see you know Molly Seidel um a friend of both of ours and to get to see her crush it and just get to experience that joy was so real. But at the same also time, getting to see some women who, as we know, have been working, you know, the past 10 years of their professional career for this day is really, is also painful. Did mm-hmm. it make you think about at all your Olympic trials coming up this summer and how you want to set intention around that? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I felt, um, even just in the days leading up, I was telling you it was hard for me to fall asleep. Some of those nights just thinking about, you know, having been in not the exact same position before, but a similar one. Um, definitely it brought up a lot of stuff for me and 
um, just reminded me to be uh, really deliberate um, and daily with my mental routine and um, yeah, the practices that help me stay relaxed regardless of the circumstances. So um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a fresh reminder that, hey, that's less than four months away now, you know, and to just, I think it's such a fine art um, learning to balance that focus on the goal while also just being a great steward of every day, you know, and that's like a constant um, evolution, I feel, of learning to do that in practice. So, yeah, I'm in process with that. Cool. I'll, I'll be supporting you in process. Oh, I feel that. Is there anything you want to check in about? Anything more before we dive into questions? You know, the only other thing I was thinking about before this is just sharing as you've been such a source of accountability and motivation and um, this website that I've been building. And I just wanted to check in and say, it's still, you know, I actually, so I'm, I've, for those who don't know, I'm just uh, building the format and some of the content for a website that I've wanted to launch for many months now. Um, going on years even. And um, it's just been a real struggle to, uh, I, I think I've gotten lost in the weeds a bit and just coming up with a mission statement. And um, what, I, what I've what i landed on, and I've talked about this with you, Jules, is that I, again, I struggle with perfectionism. And so I've talked to my husband countless times about just getting it up, you know, and having a skeleton and just being really real and honest about the reality that, you know, I don't know exactly where this website is going yet, but I know that I feel called to do it. I feel called to create this space and create community around competitive athletes um, and those who just are passionate about sport. And so that's what the mission is right now. And it might evolve and that's okay. Um, I think that my biggest fear is that my message won't be clear, but I think that if I'm just real and relatable um, that's probably as clear as I can be right now. So that's just a, a check-in and accountability with you and with this community that it is coming. And like anybody else, I need a deadline. So I'm trying to set that deadline for March 31st, um, at least to have all the content together and sent to the woman who's designing the site. Awesome. Yeah. Maybe we could make a challenge for you by the next Soul Sister sessions in April. Ooh, I love to be live. That. Oh my goodness, it's out there. I need it. I need it. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna hold you to it. We'll we'll follow up off air about that. But I it's sometimes it. good to have that deadline and to just put it out in the world to help push yourself forward. I mean, I completely relate to you. When I look at the beginnings of the Running on Own website, I think when I started it in 2012, I mean, it's now taken many iterations. And last week, the website even crashed, which was a whole thing. But um, I had, similar to you, I have that perfectionist and I wanted it to be perfect. But you sometimes just have to put it out there and begin with where it's at and, and know that it will grow and it will change and give yourself grace in that process. So we're ready to dive into some really thoughtful questions surrounding eating disorders. And I think before we go into these, it's also really important to note that neither Abby nor I are a clinical professional. We're not doctors, dietitians. I'm not a therapist yet. Um, and so we're really speaking about this from our lived, our personal experience. 
And that's ultimately where we're coming from. Yes. So this first question um, is, I'm wondering how best to show support to my child who is a collegiate runner who's struggling with an eating disorder. They're willing to get help and have gotten some, but if you can recommend any way to show support and still guide them in a direction to understand their own situation with more clarity, I would be so grateful. Yeah, so let's just start by, um, I just want to give a shout to um, this really lovely parent. Um, your son or daughter is is really fortunate to have such an observant and caring presence in their life. Um, that isn't something that, you know, that's, that's not always commonplace. So thank you so much for this question. Um, I find that in general, the best way to inspire change in a human being is helping them discover the problem on their own. And I imagine that's something you talk about a lot, Jules, in your experience learning how to be a therapist. Um, So I think my biggest advice would be to show your care and concern by, and we've discussed this before on the podcast, focusing on behavior rather than any changes to the person's experience. You know, when you ask questions, um, notice uh, different actions or changes in their disposition. Um, you know, you could point out patterns like, I noticed you've been more isolated or you've been withdrawn. You seem like you're not as in tap emotionally as you normally are. You are, you know, your energy seems low. Your motivation seems low. Um, these are some of the common symptoms that you might see for someone who is struggling with disordered eating or full bone eating disorder. Um, And hopefully this will stir in them um, their own introspection and self-awareness and just makes it clear to them that loved ones like you are concerned and present for support whenever whenever they feel comfortable talking about those things, even if it's not in, um, even if they're not talking about them as if they've already noticed a problem, but just, just by um, through the concern of another person, they might grow to develop an awareness around, Hey, maybe I'm not acting or feeling the way I am typically. Um, maybe there is something wrong. Um, I know that for me, uh, a big root of my disordered eating behavior was the belief that thinness and my own running performance gave me inherent value and worth and contributed to that inner value and identity. And a critical part of my healing has, was and, and can, continues to be rooting my identity apart from what I look like or how successful I am. And so questions that do, that do show curiosity about someone's inner life, um, about who they are and not what they do, that just affirms those inner qualities that they are loved because of those, not because of anything external. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's just a way, a general way to show care and concern about, about someone is how are you feeling emotionally, you know, and just, it, it causes, um, both parties really to check in about what's going on. Um, because that's really where the root is. It's not external. It's, it's about, um, different issues that might be very deeply internal. Yeah. So, so much goodness there, Abby. I went similar to you. One of the first things I wrote when I was brainstorming about how to answer this was unconditional love and curiosity. 
And so really asking them similar to what Abby's touched upon is asking people questions about how they're feeling, um, where their energy levels are at. I continue to think about, um, in my personal experience, this past summer I had a family member who was worried about their child who was struggling with disordered eating. And this family member reached out to me to get their, their input on the situation. And this family member told me that they kept on telling their child about, you know, oh, you look too thin or you look um, just speaking to their kid about how they looked. And I was trying to explain to the family member that that actually really feeds the disorder. And instead of focusing on what someone looks like in any way, whether it's in their mind um, bigger or smaller than their past versions of themselves, instead focusing, as you've spoken to Abby, on their behaviors, on their energy levels, are they still engaging with friends? Are they still doing the other things that they love? Um, and so taking a bit more of a holistic perspective and really not actually focusing on the body and not actually focusing on the food, not what they're eating. Um, or asking them, have you eaten today? Like instead, like, have you connected with your friends today? Um, are you a part of the world? And I also, this summer, um, I keep on coming back to this experience, but I, I recommended that this family member themselves get therapy as the caregiver. I think people oftentimes when as a parent, um, you're just focused on helping your kid that you don't actually get help yourself for dealing with this. And so looking at getting help and support for you to understand how this is affecting you and then also what your role might be in all of this. Um, whether or not parents want to hear this, they do have a role in their kid's eating disorder. And they've created an environment where that might have been born out of. And it doesn't mean that that's a positive or negative environment. I mean, I think about my childhood and my mom is one of the most body positive neutral people in relationship to her food, to food, body, exercise. And I still had a, had a raging eating disorder. So that doesn't mean that like that's her fault or that's my dad's fault. But there was something about the situation and environment which that I grew up in that led for me to develop this as my coping mechanism. And so I think it's also an important opportunity for a caregiver to get support for themselves, but also to use it as time for introspection. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is as a caregiver, as a parent, um, being mindful of how sneaky eating disorders can be. I continue to think about myself personally in high school. Um, at the time, I was struggling with anorexia, and I was so good at tricking myself and my mom in particular into thinking that a low level of care, just going to see the doctor, just going to see my therapist was fine and that it was going to be fine. But I so oftentimes wonder, like, during that time when things were really beginning for me in high school, what if I had gotten more intensive treatment? Would my eating disorder have lasted for so long? And so I say this in response to the parent who's writing about their child, is to be really mindful about understanding the severity of the situation and getting help and evaluating that, and whether that may be actually a more intensive treatment program could be helpful. Um, because the longer eating disorders like the longer someone is in the disorder in a really active way, the longer it's going to take them to recover from. Yes. I think that's really insightful and advice and hard and humbling to take that step, but it really is out of complete love. And, um, you know, you are doing a service to that person by, by intervening, um, as soon as possible. Absolutely. I think I love, I love your insight about modeling behavior as well. Um, 
on the caretaker's part. Um, that might not even be in and around behaviors or a relationship with food. That just might be general self-care behaviors. Modeling that in general, um, I think can be such a witness to, um, to a child. Totally. Okay. That was a heavy one. I'm like, whoa, It 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 was heavy. Um, and I just, my heart's with you. I totally, I mean, I know the struggle and the pain that my eating disorder has caused my mom in particular. Like sometimes it scares me to think it's taken years off of her life, honestly, the amount that she's held for me in this process. Um, and so I know, I don't know how painful it is because I don't have a kid yet, but I know that it is very painful to watch someone you love in really struggling and keeping that spirit of unconditional love and curiosity present in the process of recovery. Yes. And having just patience with the timeline of, I mean, even, yeah, I mean, I've just, I've, as you know, have watched loved ones struggle in different areas of life. And that's the biggest challenge for me is my tendency is to try to mandate other people's conduct. And that just oftentimes people want to run the opposite direction. And so do I, when someone tries to mandate mine. So yeah, just having that really humble, patient perspective on it is so challenging. And I just, um, yeah, we just want to, want to just, if you feel, if you feel that challenge, we want to normalize that for you now. It's so real. Totally. So moving into our second question, I find that running and having athletic goals I'm excited about is very motivating and helpful in tackling struggles with disordered eating. You often see people advised against tracking food, calories, or weight to avoid getting unhealthily fixated on these things. But as a marathoner, I also know I need to make sure I'm fueling my body optimally if I want to stay healthy while pursuing an activity I love. Do you have any advice for how to hold yourself accountable and make sure you're giving your body what it needs without letting a focus on nutrition slide into unhealthy territory? Such a good question. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I think it's also so relevant. I mean, I want to hear a little bit from Abby from you as like a professional runner when you, you know, when you say like four months to the Olympic trials, like how does that, this come into your, into your mind and let's answer question two, but like, how do you hold yourself accountable and still maintaining a healthy relationship to food and body um, in this like crucial time when you know food is a really important part of your training. Right. Right. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like, um, there again has been quite an evolution of how I feel about that. Um, I've been in phases of my life where I've gotten overly dialed in and, um, kind of a more obsessive as I, as I, uh, as the championship season approaches, but now I recognize more than ever, um, I'm going to run well if I am just holistically well. And so my mental health is, um, a higher priority than, um, you know, getting down to the details in terms of, um, macro and micronutrients, not to undermine that its importance. But I also feel that kind of naturally as I have developed my intuition and, um, just kind of reconnected with my hunger and satiation cues, I just naturally start to crave foods that, that do serve my body, um, 
nutritiously. And, you know, I do actually crave more whole foods rather than kind of unsatiating snacks or things, you know, things that um, aren't, uh, don't necessarily have, aren't good or bad, but they just don't, they don't um, feel me as well. And so, yeah, so I think the um, optimizing my nutrition does start to come naturally as my my intuition develops, I think is probably the best way to answer the question. Um, and so I actually don't worry too much about it. You know, my body starts to crave as I'm doing, as the weather gets warmer and more humid, I start to crave saltier snacks, and that's what my body needs. And so I um, am... Uh, willing and happy to, to fill those needs accordingly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, of course, as we're getting very close, you know, within a a month, excuse me, a month of the championship, you know, there are going to be some choices that I'm I'm not choosing to have dessert every single night. And I think that's a, a hell I'm now in a place where that is a healthy, mindful decision that I can trust myself to make. Um, but really, other than that, um, yeah, just eating as I would normally. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I heard you use the word intuitive. And in responding to this question and giving advice to how to hold yourself accountable and make sure you're giving body what it needs without letting it focus on a nutrition slide into an unhealthy territory is the intuitive eating framework for me has been revolutionary in this way. And so as you spoke to the hunger and fullness signals, whether I'm training a lot or a little, when I'm actually able to eat in a more intuitive way, I'm in touch with how much I need. And so I think in order to kind of do to do this work, if you're marathoning or if you're taking a resting period or a down period, it's learning how to get in touch with your hunger and fullness signals. And there's a lot of great resources out there. I'll link to some of them in the show notes about just really simple ways to start to almost like using yourself in a more um, spirit of curiosity to notice after I eat this much food or after I have this meal, an hour later, do I feel satiated? Do I feel like I'm not even thinking about food anymore because I felt really nourished from that meal? Or is my mind still kind of itching, you know, for something more? Am I still already dreaming about what the next meal is going to be? And so I think it's doing a little bit of mind work and exploration to figure out, do you have a sense of your hunger and fullness signals? And there's this beautiful... um, hunger and fullness scale, actually, that a therapist I was working with once gave it to me on almost like a little uh, note card. And at a point, I would actually take it out. And I'd take it out after most meals. I'd look at the scale and just kind of, it gave me like a reference point for saying, oh, how am I feeling right now? And it's and it gave me like a, an experience of almost just giving myself a little bit of a mirror and a little bit of a feedback loop, like almost teaching my brain again after periods where I've gone through restriction and binging, um, where I've gotten so disconnected to my hunger and fullness signals. And so it's actually been an experience of being like, okay, if I know what that feels like, I can trust myself in different periods of training or lack of training. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and you're right. It, that, reconnecting to that intuition is easier said than done. So having resources like you just, you know, physical resources, tools, um, is really helpful. Um, so would echo, would echo that as an important tool. Um, and I also, 
with the macro micronutrients similar to I've um I don't I've never counted calories I'm not a numbers person um I recognize for some people that is an important practice for them in or it can be even a healthy practice for people in their nutrition but I found for me just one of the ways I stay accountable is in the meals that I eat every day just asking myself at every meal is a carb is a protein is a fat source present and so that's a really just simple way of being like, is this meal a fully nourishing meal for me? And that carb, protein, fat source ratio is going to look different based on the season, based on the day, but always just trying to have um, food and meals that are really like whole, whole meaning full of all the things. And then also holding myself accountable to not slipping into unhealthy behaviors also means being social and eating around people. Um, cause I, eating disorders thrive in isolation, unhealthy behaviors thrive in isolation. And so making sure for me, at least one of my meals a day is shared with someone. And oftentimes that's my partner, my boyfriend, but cooking meals with friends or going out to eat. Um, it's so, so important to not have food be something that you just do by yourself. Yes. Yes. And I mean, it's meant to be, I don't have actually, actually have a lot of the same answers here. Um, food is meant to be enjoyed communally. Um, and I would add, even add to that, um, that healthy relationships around, I mean, we are just navigating such a culture that's just, we're swimming upstream in terms of as, as females, especially trying to have a healthy relationship with food and body, um, in our culture. And so, I think the best way to combat um, kind of the negative messaging that we're get is we're getting is to be accountable to your goals in terms of your relationship with food and body with trusted friends and family. You know, if it is a concern that hey, I know that uh, that I I could have the capacity in this heavy marathon training to drift into unhealthy territory. I'm going to tell my closest friend, you know, a brother, sister, someone about my concern and just being known in that intention should help build accountability, even if that person isn't present, just knowing you've had that conversation and they're going to check in with you. Um, not, not because they're responsible for checking, you know, for, um, mandating your behavior, but because they care about you. I think just, just feeling like somebody else knows about that, um, might help provide a sense of community in it. Totally, totally. Not being alone, so important. For our next question, um, it kind of even relates to the past question, um, but it's, I'll share it, is I have an unhealthy relationship with food already, but when I'm injured and not training, it is awful. Any advice? (sighs) Yeah, (laughs) that's my response to so hard. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, just being really frank with you all. I I think even, even in my, in the progress that I've made in many years, um, I think that the situation of injury and nut training is, is when I also struggle the most. Um, yes, I've seen a lot of improvement and growth, but, um, I mean, for so many reasons, just because there are so many strong emotional, positive emotional ties to sport. Um, we're just so much more vulnerable in that, in that set of circumstances. So 
I just like to remind myself, like sit down with myself and remember and like repeat this in my head and write it down. Um, when I'm injured, what is the best environment for healing? And I know that that's a good, well-rounded nutrition and a positive spirit. You know, there's a Bible verse that says a cheerful heart, it's good medicine. And so what can I, how can I cultivate my life during that time um, to maximize those things? So yes, that, that does mean being mindful and intentional about eating whole foods and foods that whatever your injury is, whether you need to minimize inflammation with things like turmeric or maximize bone health. Um, that is really important. And I just want to give a plug to the run fast, eat slow book. Um, that has a lot of resources. Um, you can link to that in the show notes. Um, and, and also the body just needs calories to repair its structures. You know, it, during that time of injury, it's on overdrive, um, trying to help you get, get you back to, um, normality. And so I just remember remembering that in general, like you do need fuel for that process of recovery. Um, for, for both. And, and another thing that, you know, if, if that those caloric needs are not met, um, there is potential that it can throw off for a female, even a male, actually both, um, um, your hormonal cycle, and that can be very detrimental to bone health and long-term health overall. So lots of reasons why just the quantity of food is important during injury. And another thing I like to just remember is that it is normal and good sometimes, even most of the time, to gain a little bit of weight when it when you're injured, you know. Um, yeah, your body's just trying to recalibrate and adjust to an abnormal um, output of of energy and your body's role and it's kind to you in this way is it is trying to protect you um by um yeah sometimes sometimes a fluctuation in weight and um it's trying to just regain homeostasis so that you can heal as fast as possible so seeing it so maybe i try to expect it and just um, not be surprised if and when that happens. Um, just knowing that my body is here to protect me and heal me. And this is just part of that process. Totally. And the last thing that I would add is I think most importantly, when you're in any kind of emotional distress, um, I, I found and I've learned um, through time within therapy and introspection is just the for me, the body becomes my scapegoat. When I feel just out of whack emotionally and kind of out of, out of control of my circumstances, I tend to try to control by um, regulating my food intake and, and my relationship with my body. And so that for me is a way that I try to um, gain mastery over the situation and distract myself from some of the negative emotion that I'm feeling. So I've had to name that and know that that isn't, there are other much more healthy ways to deal with those negative emotions. And so explore and find other ways to fill your cup, fill your emotional needs, through relationships, through time outside, good books. Um, and, and I find that once those needs get met, my relationship with food and body naturally improves with it. Girl, you just, you said it all. <laughs> you were so good. I totally agree. I completely agree with the fact that I found that food shows you in an unhealthy relationship with food with this person speaking to you. Um, and then when they're injured, it's even worse is it's like food's just showing you're hungry for something. 
And it's not just food that you're hungry for. It's experiences, it's connection, it's love, it's feeling seen, it's um, being seen and witnessed. And so really opening up, as you said, filling up your cup in other ways can be pours over into your relationship to your food and your body. And especially when you're injured and not training and you might feel, as you said, like more down because yeah, you don't have the endorphins and your brain chemistry is probably going to be a bit different. It's making sure you find other ways to fill up your cup and it can be hard, especially, I mean, we get it like running for both of us is one of the things that brings us the most amount of joy and we've had it taken away from us many, many times being able to be creative about what those other things are and doing them for joy. Like I always come back to this word joy in the process of healing from eating disorders is that so much of one's energy and unhealthy relationship to themselves, like it just takes up so much mental space. And what could that mental space be used for if it wasn't present in someone? And for me, a huge part of that is joy. Like when I look at my life and my eating disorder during times when I've been most in deep, I wouldn't be able to laugh. Like I literally didn't laugh. And so it's just like when that space is cleared, there's so much room for joy, for connection, for being in touch with hunger and all its forms. And the other thing I'd say is that um, using injury as an opportunity to dig deeper into your relationship with yourself And I'll again say is to like go see a therapist or a dietitian who specializes in eating disorders. It can be a really fruitful time when your main coping mechanism is taken away to actually do some deeper work on yourself with a guided professional and getting to the root of things so that when you do come back to sport injury, you're going to have an even healthier and more sustainable relationship to it and with it. Right into yourself in general. I think you'll be um, blessed and surprised by just how much life-giving and really life-serving work. (laughs) I mean, the work that can be done during that time can really um, just continue to, um, I think, take the blinders off for you in a good way um, throughout your entire life. So definitely echo um, taking advantage of that as well. Totally. I'm going to skip ahead. We, we have notes between us, Abby and I, and I'm going to skip ahead abs to question five, um, which is I find myself comparing my body to other runners and thinking stuff like my legs are so big and that's why they're faster. How do you find confidence in your body and not compare it to other runners and people? (laughs) Another really good one. Um, yeah. And another one that, that we've talked about and I know, um, is a continued, um, I'm continuing to check, check in with myself on this topic. Um, I think the word that is most important in my answer is gratitude. (laughs) That's one I come back to all the time. Does it get old for me or I never don't need the reminder? Um, I, I try to just sit in and visualize and remember, um, all that my body has allowed me to do and not just allowed me to do, but the places it's taken me, the experiences it's given me and, and then just have like a general appreciation for 
all the billions of different kinds of bodies that exist and how capable they are um, and how different they look. And, uh, you know, one thing that, that this is particularly difficult for me as a, as a professional athlete, you know, I've experienced my healing while continuing to be in some ways um, under, um, you know, I'm, uh, just seen and, you know, uh, my platform is, it, it's just, a, it's a tough area for me to heal. You know, I'm, I feel sometimes like I'm just under speculation sometimes. Um, and, and a lot of that is just a perception that I have and, and continuing to work through. But, um, there is that unique situation of being in, you know, somewhat of a bathing suit when I compete and having to navigate that. And so, I'm learning and uh, to appreciate that, uh, you know, being a, a relatively muscularly built runner as a 5K athlete compared to many of the women that I line up against, um, that has once been, you know, a deep insecurity of mine that I, I look different than um, not all of, but some of the other runners that I do compete against and, um really just reframing how I think about that and um, learning to have gratitude for the muscle that I do have and how capable it's made me and strong it makes me feel. Um, and then, and then taking advantage of just be like owning that and seeing um, the, the capacity for that to encourage and inspire others who are built more like me and that there's nothing wrong with the way that we're built, but for so long we've been combating this culture that thinner is better and faster. And, you know, I'm now seeing it as a gift that I don't in a lot of ways fit into a so-called, you know, uh, this, uh, I, and this word is so loaded, but the skinny mold that I, uh, that for so long I aspired to fit into, um, that, yeah, it, it is a way for me to, um, just help expand our vision of what it looks like to be a powerful, capable athlete and an athlete, you know, who is running at the elite level. And so I've tried to just focus more on that and the opportunities that that affords me. Um, and another thing, um, would of course just be, uh, limiting social media time, being aware of, um, what sorts of images start to bring up insecurities in you and, I, there are certain, they're just, I've had to get really honest with myself that, yeah, spending certain amounts of time, um, following just, if I, if my social media feed is, is, you know, a largely, a large percent of its percentage of it is other professional athletes. Um, it's human for me to fall into that comparison trap. So, um, just building more variety in who I am following and, um, setting time limits on how much time, you know, um, how much of my day is spent there. And then one other tool that's really been helpful is focusing, um, and I've mentioned this before on this podcast, um, on daily meditation, because that general practice of learning to, uh, non-judgmentally sit with my thoughts and process and, um, just observe those thoughts has, has allowed me to grow, my capacity to let unhelpful, uh, unhelpful thoughts come and go. Um, and a comparison of course is one of those. And so that's my take so far. 
it is an evolution. I'm curious about yours too, Jules. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of hilarious because we both take notes on these questions before we record. And I try not to look at your notes because I'm like, I want to come up with my own answer that's different than Abby's. And then I'm like, oh my God, Abby and I have the same answer. (laughs) Um, But one of the first things I wrote was a quote that I've shared before by Theodore Roosevelt, which is comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And it is so, so true. There's so many ways in which I've definitely had periods in my life where I've compared my body to other runners and other people. And even in the yoga community, which I'm part of, you know, there's rampant um, ways in which people share about their body and portray their body that don't, don't serve me. And so it's similar to what Abby spoke to. It's limiting my exposure. So on social media, just following people and accounts and clicking on pictures that I know are going to be uplifting and inspiring and being really cognizant of what is the media that I'm taking in and who am I also surrounding myself with and what kind of conversations do we have? I personally try not to speak at all about anyone's body shape, size, the parts of their body are offering them compliments on their body. That's just something that I personally don't do because I don't want to receive that about my body. My worth is not in my body. My worth is in my spirit. My worth is in my mind and the quality of who I am. And so in actually rewiring how we compare ourselves to other people, that also to me, that's been a part of how I speak about other people's bodies. And then in turn, how I speak about myself. And that is a tall order. I'm not saying it goes perfectly. I sometimes will be like, oh, look at her pink hair. (laughs) Or like, you know, (laughs) or I like love red hair. I love gingers. And I'm just like, oh, like I want to have a ginger hair. (laughs) So yeah, there's ways in which, (laughs) you know, like you can. I can't help myself sometimes. It just comes out. But it's surrounding yourself with people who speak about people's bodies in a way that you align with. I mean, I don't, yeah, my friends and the people I'm around, I choose not to be with people who are judging other people's bodies or talking about people's bodies or saying things even like, oh, she's so fit or he looks so fit. Like Mm -hmm. all of that's just bullshit to me. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have time for that, honestly, Mm -hmm. because that kind of language, in my opinion, just perpetuates this body comparison culture that is really negative and toxic. And that's been my personal experience. So it's really, it's who you talk to, how you talk to yourself. And then in my yoga teaching, um, I teach right now primarily private students one-on-one. And a lot of the folks I teach are older, older meaning like 50s, 60s, 70s. And something we do at the end of every session is I make each of my students take three breaths of gratitude for all that their body can do. And that's exactly what you said, Abs, which is the word gratitude. And so what what, what I invite them to do is on the inhale, just say thank you to themselves internally And on the exhale, just let that gratitude settle. Inhale, you say thank you to yourself. Exhale, you just let it settle. And sometimes it doesn't feel real. (laughs) You know, sometimes you aren't thankful for your body, whether you're injured or you're in in the weeds. And that's okay too. But it's a process of trying to almost tune our instrument towards gratitude. And in the beginning, that tuning can feel pretty foreign and a little rusty. But I found for me, that's a huge way that I try to come back again and again to letting go of comparison is focusing on all that my body can do. And then just letting that awareness settle. 
I love that. I also just thought of something my mother-in-law often says, which is that the command to lead your heart and your emotions will follow. So sometimes we have to practice. I'm not always a um, fan of commanding yourself to do something that doesn't work in every circumstances, but there are times like you have just described where um, it is not natural or instinctual for you to have that practice. And so while you are developing the habit, um, yeah, just practice doing something that does feel a little bit foreign and, um, and then letting your heart follow suit, you know, and letting the, the emotional piece, um, stir itself up naturally. I want to get a tattoo with that. (laughs) I know. Isn't that awesome? I think about it all the time. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. We ready for our last question? Yes, I'll, I'll read this one. Do you consider yourselves fully recovered from an eating disorder? Is that even possible? Yeah, another really great question. Jules, I'll let you, I'll let you go on this one. Yeah, so I think this is a question that is super personal and that is very, very much specific to each person. And so I for me, I, um, I believe that I will always be in recovery, but I do know there's people who for them, like for them to say they're fully recovered is a really empowering and celebratory thing for them about all the work they've done with their eating disorder. And I don't discount that at all. I think that's awesome. But for me, I believe that my relationship to my food and my body are relationships that I will have for the rest of my life. And so I will always be in recovery. It is a daily practice for me to stay in in alignment. I got a tattoo on my right wrist um, uh, three years ago. And the tattoo is in Sanskrit, the word truth, satya. And I got that tattoo because it was kind of when I came out of this really dark period where I was struggling with a lot of binging at the time, I finally was in a place where binging wasn't a part of my life on a daily basis. And I wanted a tattoo to almost, I called it my spirit check for me to be asking myself, am I living in my truth? So every time I'd see that tattoo, which I see it all the time, it's just, it's like almost, it's a pathway that I'm building in my brain to ask myself, am I living in my truth? And that truth for me is, am I living in recovery actually? And am I treating myself with love and compassion and patience? And unlike an alcoholic, who I know for people who are like, oh, I've been sober for 10 years, I would sometimes get jealous. And I still do get honestly jealous sometimes when people are like, oh, yeah, I have my 10-year sobriety. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like, you know, food and food and your body are not really things you can take away. They're here to stay. And that for me, living a fulfilled life in my recovery is creating a sustainable relationship with my food and body. So I'm always going to be recovered. But I think how that is personally defined and whether that's personally possible is really up to oneself. How does this question land with you, Abby? Gosh, I it took me a while actually to even brainstorm notes about this because yeah, it is really it's really challenging to accept the reality that um, that it is ever present albeit in different um 
forms. And I think at, in different seasons, especially for me, as I spoke to, um, it being, being, a you know, a, actually a, one, one, I think challenge for me in really accepting my need for healing and recovery initially, um, was this fear that there was no way I could develop a positive relationship with food and body or redevelop one within, you know, as a runner while continuing running. I thought that, um, I had to do, you know, I'd have to separate myself from the sport in order to properly heal. And that turned out to, um, not be true for me, gratefully. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think, um, added a layer of complication, um, and nuance to that, the process for me, because I am in a way on display more than the average person would be. Um, I think that would be a fair statement. And so, so I think it's probably taken a bit longer than it might have for me otherwise, because I've, um, still been very exposed through that process, but, but perhaps it's also escalated, um, the healing as well. You know, it's forced me to be very real and honest, um, with myself and my community and then, yeah, to go public about it, um, has, uh, just encouraged me to, um, do so, uh, um, in a way that is authentic. Um, yeah, so I guess an argument could be, could be made both ways, but, um, I would just say, although, yeah, there might not be a complete recovery. I think it is really, you know, progress is so possible and real. And it's, it's very important. I found to celebrate the markers of growth as you notice them along the way. Um, I smiled to myself as I remembered, uh, a couple, I think it was like two summers ago, I was at a family reunion and it was the first time that I ate a hot dog. I'm telling you, I'm like, I don't even know. It was like 15 years. And I remember talking to my now husband. I'm like, I I don't remember the last time I tasted a hot dog. Like, I'm so happy I'm eating this hot dog. I like hot dog. I just, it's so funny because for so long I convinced myself that like I couldn't stand the thought of them. I probably eat a hot dog maybe once a year now. Um, but to actually eat one and say like, oh, I enjoy this. And for so long, I've convinced myself that I despise it, you know, and feeling just empowerment and energy, um, through that marker of growth, um, that I'm no longer afraid of this thing, uh, was, was really important for me. Um, and, uh, I think a big indication of processes of, of progress, as you have mentioned, Jules, is how is your thought life? Um, are you, have you been able to make a lot of growth in reconnecting with your internal cues? Are you enjoying food and experiences, just general life experiences more? Are you able to be more emotionally engaged? Um, I also, you know, that was present for me as well. Just like not, you said, you mentioned you weren't able to laugh. I had a, I had trouble empathizing and being able to cry and like objectively sad movies. And so just, just being able to feel more, um, has been just, a um, a joy for me. And, um, but then, yeah, also recognizing that there are sometimes despite that evolution and growth and progress that you might have seen, there are situational triggers. Like for me, 
sometimes the beginning of racing season is hard when haven't been exposed in that way in a while. Um, and you know, sometimes being around particular people who in the past have, have communicated or affirmed certain, certain, um, aspects of my appearance, sometimes that's challenging and I'm navigating that still. So yeah, um, I think it is a sign of growth to recognize what those triggers is a tough word. I don't, I can't think of a better word for it right now, but. Um, in my grad school program, we use sparks. Yes. So instead our professor really doesn't like the use the word trigger. So instead it's like, what are you sparked by or what are the mm-hmm. sparks? Mm-hmm. Cause mm-hmm. they think actually the fire of a spark has like the fire of transformation in it. And so it's like the fire of transformation can be a very positive transformation, whereas I think trigger has a bit more of a negative energy behind it. I love that. Yeah. I think it's just a sign of maturity when you can recognize what those sparks are and you are growing tools to navigate them. Yeah. As we're speaking here, I feel like I've just been noticing internally, like we bring so much joy to this process and to this conversation. Um, and, but we, I don't have it all figured out and I'm, I still have days when I'm in the weeds and I was wondering, Abby, whether you could speak to maybe more recently, like what has been something presently within your current relationship to your food and body that you're currently navigating that maybe is like a bit more of a challenging thing. Cause I feel like we're speaking here and we have it all. We might sound like we have some things figured out, but we don't <laughs> like, we're yes. still very, very human in this process. Yes. I'm so glad you bring that up Jules, because even, even just right, like here and now, as I'm getting back to more normal training after a bit of an injury, um, in seasons like this, I notice there is more body checking. Like there are certain, certain aspects of my body that, um, I feel insecure about that. You know, when I do look in the mirror, I am really intentional about having, we have one, one full size mirror that is like on the back of a door. You know, I try not to, um, not that I'm not, I I try to use it as a way to be grateful for and uh, appreciate my body, but I am aware that sometimes that is a spark for me. Um, So I try not to be checking myself out in the mirror all that often, but when I do, there are areas that um, I do feel conscious of. And so there, I mean, I I just was even thinking about this before this conversation and um, kind of going back to some of the notes that I have from therapy and how in the past I've navigated that body checking. How can I I've put certain sayings or quotes on the mirror, you know, mantras that help me. And I think, you know, this is, this would be a good time for me to go back to that. Um, yeah. So that body checking is something that I'm still working through. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. As you were speaking, I realized something for me that's present in my recovery right now is as as I've returned to the podcast, I've committed to 
taking pictures with my guests as a part of like on the website and on Instagram. Um, And that was because in chapter one of the podcast, I had a lot of photographers reach out to me wanting me to pay them for the photos, which is totally understandable. They're all artists, but it was just an expense that I knew that I couldn't take on for this chapter two. So it was just easier to take pictures with people and it gave it a personal feel like something I'm proud of is that I do my interviews in person with people and we really get to connect. But I've noticed I have a lot of inner dialogue and critiquing of myself and looking at those pictures of myself um, and a lot of body checking, which you're speaking to. And it's not even that I'm wearing like, you know, a bikini or running around, but I, in my past, like always look at, um, this is, yeah, I'm going to get really real here right now. Um, So for me in periods of time when I was binging, um, my body would get really inflamed and my face, I felt would get very puffy. Um, And that's something that I've always been really self-conscious of is having a rounder face and the propensity in my mind for it to feel puffy. Um, But that's totally an internal experience for me. I don't think the world is critiquing my face based on it being puffy or not. And if it is puffy, people are going to still love me just the same. And so I've had to really in this experience of body checking and sharing more pictures of myself on social media than I have done for the past couple of years, just almost repeat this mantra to myself. A photo is a photo. A photo is a photo. It's a second in time. That's Mm -hmm. not about my worth. No one is really judging or like or actually critiquing the photo pretty much other than me. And I really, really believe that because like when I look at other people's pictures, that's not what I'm doing. And no one has even really the time for that. And so. Right. For me, it's just a reminder, a photo is a photo. Like when I see pictures of myself and I start to, you know, have the inner dialogue being like, oh, your face looks so puffy and it reminds you of that time when you were binging and there's all this whole little like spiral I can go down, just kind of stopping myself and just being like, a photo is a photo, Julia. Let it go. I love that. And so it's almost in the process of recovery, it's building different voices inside of oneself. You spoke to abs, like our inner thought life. And that's so, so important for me in my recovery is just that inner thought life is constantly in process and taking out the power, like taking away the power from the disorder and instead giving the power towards sustainability, towards neutrality, towards acceptance. Yes. Yes. And just to, just to piggyback off of that, um, growing, uh, yeah, I mean, just speaking, learning to speak compassionately and kindly and maturely to the inner critic that we all have. And I know that for, um, we speculate we are both an Enneagram one, um, that inner critic is particularly strong. Um, I know for both of us. And so, um, even just having like a sense of, I, I, I have the same struggle looking at photos and um, just checking different areas and having a sense of humor really has helped me so much about like horrible, like comically horrible angles that like are just, I mean, it really is funny, you know, when a camera can make you look, of course, to you uh, more than everybody else, but like so different than you might feel or than what was actually happening or um, it's, it's helped me, um, to, to just really have a more mature sense of humor about that instead of feeling critical and just be more lighthearted about the whole thing, because everyone has that, has that experience. You know, I've heard it said that 
whenever we look at a, a group photo, no matter who is in the photo, the first person we always look at is ourselves. And that's so true for us all. So um, just knowing that we all struggle with it and that um, technology is flawed. Totally. Yeah, and I, I also, again, just want to acknowledge all those who have shared their questions with us and all the questions that we didn't get to answer in this episode on eating disorders. The conversation is never over, um, and it's in this Soul Sister session series. Like It's something that is really on both of our hearts and we will return to. So if you have any follow-up questions or stories or thoughts on what we've shared, please send them. Um, you can find the link on runningonome.com, which I'll link to, but... Yeah, this is, it's a constant journey. It is, it is. Yeah, we really appreciate your feedback on it and your willingness to reach out because as we said before, it's often a really overwhelming issue. And um, I've definitely had times where my instinct is to just kind of get paralyzed in that, um, how daunting the task is of helping um, improve the culture around it. And so we really appreciate you guys contributing to the movement towards health yes so what is next for you in this month abs we have you set you've set the intention of the website getting your website up but what else is present whether it be training racing personally yes so i i spoke with my coach yesterday about um a is there's about a 95 percent chance that i will be racing a 5k actually at the Raleigh Relays, which is the last weekend in December. That's a really special race for December me. December or March? Um, did I say December? Oh my yeah. goodness. Where am I? Um, last weekend in March. Ooh, check in. Um, and that's actually where I ran my first 5k my freshman year in college. We always did our spring training um, or spring break trips down in Raleigh. And yeah, freshman spring, first 5K and absolutely fell in love. So it'll be good to to get out there um, and just get a race environment. Effort. I mean, I don't have a time goal right now that will evolve as, you know, my training does the next few weeks, but excited to get started there. And, um, and then also trying to decide whether or not I'm going to do a second altitude stint um, in the month of April slash early May. Um, time is ticking. I do need to decide soon, but it's just been, um, there's been a lot of change in, um, actually races. Uh, a lot of them have been canceled, um, due to the coronavirus. So, um, we've just been a little bit suspended and what, um, races will be competitive if they're happening at all. So the planning has been a bit last minute. So just trying to decide if altitude part two does fit in or not this year. I can't have you just tell me that that was your first 5K and us not discuss it. Tell me something <laughs> about that first 5K race. What was freshman, freshman Abby like? Tell me a little bit more about it. Did you run the race alone? Did you have any people with you? Yeah, so there were... I definitely had some teammates in it. Um, I don't even remember where I placed. I just remember that I, I, I don't even... I think I ran about 16... 20, which was, I mean, I didn't have a lot of expectations. You know, coach just said, whatever the splits are for 16 to 20, 77, 78. I don't remember. I just remember running the, the splits handily and feeling like this actually feels 
pretty good. I like this. You know, I was a miler in high school. And so I was used to running faster. And so I, I just was surprised by how controlled and smooth it felt. And I mean, spring, spring break trip was always just amazing. You just got to sleep and eat and hang out with friends. I mean, and it was at the very end of that trip. So we were just recovered and bodies were feeling good. The weather was 10 times warmer than it was up in Hanover, New Hampshire. So I just have such fond memories and I qualified for the regional meet there. So yeah, it was a clear shoe in that I was going to be doing the 5k that spring. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) I'm like baby Abby. (laughs) I'm baby Abby. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Very long time ago. So it'll be good to be back. That's awesome. And how about you the next month, Jules? The next month for me, I think it's focusing on school. So I have about two more months left in my semester, my spring semester for school. And so it's really just trying to like get dialed in with school and trying to focus on how to balance school with the podcast and creative stuff. I feel like I've not been doing very good at balancing it the past two weeks. Today, when I was on the mountain bike ride with Bodie, my dog, um, I had a moment where I had to just sit down. I was just getting like, I noticed myself getting super anxious on the bike ride. And then I wasn't even able to enjoy it because I was just, my mind was going totally towards school and the to-do list. And I had to just like sit down on the trail for a couple of breaths and be like, okay, like let's reset. Let's just be with what's happening right now, which was a lot of anxiety in that moment. Um, And so I think hopefully by the next time we have our next conversation, just figuring out on like how I could maybe recalibrate my schedule um, with the different things that I have going on so that I could continue to put school at the forefront or one of the one of the main things, not the most important thing. I think always my health is the most important thing because if I don't have health, I don't have life. Wow. So yeah, yeah. I think I have some work to do in the, in the next month on that and trying to figure out how to say no. Mm-hmm. Saying no is really hard to, for me. Um, saying no to friends, saying no to family is really painful because I love so many different people. Um, but in order to, yeah, be in school, and do all the other things, it's going to require a little bit more nose, which is not totally. my wheelhouse. <laughs> yes. And owning, owning the, the boundary, the boundaries in your line of work and um, your day to day are ma- more amorphous. So just super, though they aren't in, right, right. Just owning those based on yeah where your energy is and giving like the freshest part of your day to the, to your priorities accordingly. Um, totally. Yeah, I exactly. You're speaking my language, girl. So to close our conversation out, we're we're trying to end out on a little bit of a lighter note because we can dig in. And so we'll we always ask each other a question that the other person does not know is coming. It can be anything. So I'll start because I have my question and I have a okay. I have a suspicion you're still thinking of yours. I actually have it written down. Oh, Believe it really? or not, I remember this time. Good but job. I appreciate that. <laughs> on the fly not this time okay what did abby in third grade want to be when she was to grow up oh my goodness or what do you think she'd want to be well believe it or not i actually still have my diaries from that time period gems let me tell you one of them is locked he is nowhere to be found 
<laughs> so that will be quite the day once I discovered what is buried in there. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, I have like lists of off topic, but lists of like boys that I wanted to date. I mean, there's everything in there. Um, so, um, but what I wanted to be, um, when I was even younger, believe it or not, I wanted to be a cash register girl. And I quote, that's what I, I was like obsessed with keys, like key chain, key chains, key rings, all of that. So if you asked me when I was maybe a little bit younger, that's what I would have said, but probably in third grade, I would have said teacher. Aww. Yeah. I love to play school with my younger sisters. And, um, even now my husband was just asking me at dinner the other night, if I could do any other profession, what would I do? And that's what I said. <laughs> um, so yeah. Oh my goodness. Nothing's changed. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. What about you? So when I was in third grade at my childhood bedroom, I had a closet that was like a really deep and small closet, kind of like a Harry Potter type closet. And I would constantly change the closet to be like different things. And I remember in third grade when I had it, I painted it yellow. So it was very warm and inviting in the closet. And I wrote inspirational quotes on the wall. And I like even um, painted some flowers on the wall. And I made it a therapist's office. And invited my friends over to come talk about their problems in my closet. And what's hilarious yeah. is like I didn't, I'd never been to a therapist in third grade. So I don't know where my reference point for like the whole decor and desire. But I knew at that age that I always loved hearing people's stories. Wow. Oh my gosh. That visual makes me so happy. Isn't that so funny? I've actually had a teacher once way back when who said that when you're like 11 or 12, I guess you're younger than that in third grade. How old are you? You're like eight or nine. Okay. But I guess in that like age range, you're your truest self. So isn't that interesting? You know, that we, both of us like had experiences where we wanted to be something similar or had a desire that we still have so that's that's so fascinating yeah okay my question is related to what we just discussed I want to know what is one weird what is the weirdest food combination that you have tried and now to this day still enjoy oh my goodness that's so that's so fun okay hmm I'll give you an example while you're thinking because okay, thank what you. made me think of this is every time I, my grandmother makes this incredible baked macaroni and cheese. Oh my gosh. I'm like salivating thinking about it right now. It's so good. But I always have ketchup on it and people think that's really weird. Oh, interesting. So I don't, I mean, I love peanut butter and I pretty much could put peanut butter on legitimately anything and it would be better. Like, I actually can't think of anything that I would eat that peanut butter would not be better on. So I'm trying to think of, like, a weird combo because I put peanut butter on some weird stuff. Um, maybe, like, peanut butter on an ice, like, a popsicle wouldn't be good. But, like... <laughs> Are you speaking from experience? No, no. I'm just trying to think of, like, the limits of, of my statement. But, like, I love making... I'm going to sound super corny right now but I love making smoothie bowls and I love putting like peanut butter on top and like on like in the smoothie bowl but then also on top of it um but I don't feel like that's that weird Hmm. um that's you've stumped me Abby 
But yeah, I think if you had just given it, surprised me with this question, it might stump me too. Actually, I just thought of one. I had a someone that I a friend in college who actually combined. She like dipped carrots in peanut butter. Oh yeah, that's normal. <laughs> that's normal. Is that, okay, you. Th- oh, gosh, I thought that was the strangest thing. I was like, yeah, a carrot needs something, but I would never <laughs> put it with peanut butter. Oh, really? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so okay. funny. That's so normal to me. I'm trying right? to think of what's like really wild with peanut butter. Um, I mean, peanut butter on anything is great to me. What about you? What is the combo? Is yours mac and cheese and ketchup or? I used to, gosh. Yeah, that that was the first one that came to mind. One thing that uh, uh, another friend in college actually had me on this kick for a while was cottage cheese. I don't have, I don't eat a lot of cottage cheese now, but she used to mix cottage cheese to give it more flavor with um, like pumpkin puree, like, like literally st- stuff you would make to make pumpkin pie. <laughs> so random. That sounds like some baby was- food up in here. <laughs> oh, straight up baby food. It looks absolutely disgusting, but it was so good. I was so hesitant to try it. I actually haven't had it in a really long time. But it was like good protein and it gave it a better flavor. Um, anyway, yeah, baby food. <laughs> straight, straight baby food. Yeah. <laughs> My little niece is about six months. I'll have to see if Lily wants to feed her that. Aww. <laughs> that was fun, Abs. Thank you so much for digging, diving deep together. Thank you, everyone, for all your questions. We're so grateful. Thank you so much. See you guys next time. We are so grateful for this episode's sponsor, X Endurance, and all the amazing products they make for athletes and active individuals. Extreme Endurance is a daily supplement made by X Endurance. I take three tablets in the morning and three in the evening to help reduce any muscle soreness I have from training and in turn improve performance. My favorite way to take extreme endurance is with half a mashed banana so that I can seamlessly swallow the tablets whole. Extreme endurance is backed by science. And if you too want to experience the clinically proven benefits, receive 10% off all X endurance products at shop.teamxnd.com slash running on home, which is linked to in this episode's show notes. Thanks so much to X endurance. Thank you to everyone who submitted such thoughtful and honest questions. We were so moved by all of your words. In the show notes of this episode, we share links to resources, podcasts, books we've both found helpful in our journeys. We always love to hear from all of you on what resonated from today's conversation, so please do reach out to us on Instagram. And if you have any follow-up questions from this episode or questions on something entirely different, please submit them at runningonome.com slash sessions. If you have a running buddy, friend, or family member who you think would resonate with today's conversation, please also share this podcast with them. Nothing beats word of mouth. Every episode, I ask for all of you to help support the podcast through leaving a review of it on iTunes. I ask this every time, but I also realize I haven't acknowledged that I read every review and really take your feedback to heart. 
moving forward, I'm going to be featuring a recent podcast review from the latest month in the outro, and we'll be sending the reviewer a little thank you note and something special in the mail. On March 4th, 2020, Joyful Jellybean wrote, Rue is like my little friend in my pocket. I listen to these episodes on my runs, walks, and doing chores around the house to add light to those activities. These inspire me, amuse me, lift me up, and bring me calm and perspective on life. I was overjoyed when Julia resumed Rue after her hiatus and find joy in each episode. Wow, thank you, Joyful Jellybean, for your kind words and review. You're making me blush. <laughs> Please reach out to me on runninganome at gmail.com with your address so that I can send you a little thank you and a Rue surprise. Leaving iTunes reviews are a huge help in spreading the word about the podcast, and I sincerely thank all of you who've already left reviews over the past few years. Next week's podcast is a powerful one with Eliza Earl, professional adventure photographer and endurance athlete. Stay tuned for a moving conversation on pursuing what you love and navigating grief. Thank you to my incredible podcast team that actually makes this podcast a reality. Nick Errol for podcast management, Tim Briggs for design, John Summerford for audio production, Caitlin Marie Minor Ong for illustration, and my album artwork. Huge thanks to this team. Thank you, yes, you for listening. Lots of love and gratitude. Mm-hmm.